0: For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it, may clearly, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God.
1: Thank you, Jessica. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the joy it is to be together Father, thank you for this place that you've given us. Father, for the children downstairs and uh, for even our brothers and sisters joining us online this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning. Would you be our teacher? Would you open the eyes of our hearts? Help us to hear your voice. Lord, I'm, I'm praying that we wouldn't merely learn more about you, but that we would I truly experience more of you. That we would know what it means to be your children. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning once again, uh, my name's Simon. I'm the uh, pastor here at Grace City, just one of many uh, leaders here um, who are here to serve you. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of taking in some of the, the costumes. They're wonderful, wonderful. Josh looks like he just climbed the Matterhorn, or maybe he's just about to. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, and little Lazarus, what is this? Monkey boy? Yeah? Very cool. Very cool. Does he have symbols? No. He needs symbols. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe tonight at the carnival. Guys, and by the way, the carnival is going to be... Awesome. Um, If you do have kids, you will undoubtedly sort of have, there there will be a very real tension. um, Do we take them out trick-or-treating? Or or do we go to the carnival? Guys, we have like a mountain, a Matterhorn mountain of candy here. So if they're they're just looking for candy, this is the place you want to be tonight. Um, It's going to be fun. Um, Yeah, John chapter 3. Let's focus on that. This is some classic Jesus we're looking at this morning. John 3.16. I, I don't know how this became the verse that like wherever you're at in the world, it would seem like, no, you, everyone's, someone's, everyone's heard of this verse. Um, of course, we also have the born again uh, statement in John chapter three. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, That's almost, depending upon which comedian you're listening to these days, that that could actually be uh, taken as sort of like a derogatory statement or or a Christian cliche. Um, Oh, are you one of those born again Christians? That's a thing, that's a thing. Um, Which is a bit tragic because it's actually a beautiful picture of of what God wants to do in the life of a person. And uh, so this morning we're gonna gonna dig in a little bit. I I want us to see if we can't perhaps leave here with a greater understanding and perhaps even a, a deeper experience of what it means to be born again into the family of God. You guys with me? Born again. It's not just a religious cliche. Um, It's actually central to like the core teachings of Jesus. Um, And it's not even just like a New Testament uh, gospel of John thing. Um, you actually see this all throughout the scriptures. It's in some form or another, this idea of being born again or being regenerated, being made new. I wanna actually read a, a few verses, a few from the New Testament, um, and the old. Regeneration, or the concept of being born again in the Bible. First Peter 1.3 says, blessed be The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Titus, chapter three, verse five. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, water and spirit. First John chapter five, verses one and two, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now, there's quite a few more in the New Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36 I think is probably the best example of this concept of spiritual regeneration found in the Old Testament scriptures, the the Jewish scriptures as it were. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 through 27 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. So when Jesus is describing to this man, this uh, nighttime meeting, Nicodemus, and he says, you have to be born again. This isn't some like, new concept that Jesus has dreamt up. And it kind of makes sense why he gently, but I guess firmly, corrects Nicodemus. He says, you're supposed to be a teacher of Israel and, and you don't understand these things? Did you forget what the prophet Ezekiel said? Hundreds of years ago, the time has come. The Messiah is here. He's come to cleanse you, to give you a new heart, to cause you to be born again. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God You must be born again. There's usually some question around what does he mean by water and spirit? Different commentators, preachers will sort of go back and forth about water and spirit. Spirit seems pretty straightforward. The spirit of God who changes a person's heart, who transforms us from the inside out. The water... Some people would argue that the water refers to uh, Christian baptism. Mm, Maybe, it would be a bit anachronistic to say John's talking about Christian baptism. Um, At this point in time, no one would have had any frame of reference for what that even meant, Um, not least Nicodemus. He could have been referring to John the Baptist sort of baptism, this sort of purification, right? This act of acknowledging that I need to be cleansed by God, which he certainly would have been connecting to a passage like Ezekiel. Um, Some people even argue that the water refers to like the amniotic fluid in a mother's womb and when the water breaks, you have to be like physically born and then spiritually reborn. Maybe. I think the biggest problem with that is that there's virtually no other place in all of scripture where water refers to like the birth of an infant. So it's kind of a creative interpretation, but it doesn't hold water. I just made that up. Now, I think that um, I would argue that it's it's probably a reference to the Ezekiel passage we just read. Um, It's not two different births. It's one new birth of water and spirit, being cleansed by the sprinkling of water, as Ezekiel said, while also being trans. Formed, being made new, being given a new heart, the heart of stone being removed, and being given a new heart. One one that's filled with the love of God, one that loves to obey our Father. Has anyone in here been born again? Some of you are like, yeah, totally, for sure. It happened to me. It totally happened to me. You know how I know. This is, this is allegorical, but whatever. You know how I know that what Jesus is describing is 100% real? It happened to me. It happened to me. Before I even like, understood how to articulate it theologically or put a Bible verse to it, it happened to me. There was a moment... In retrospect, there was probably a whole series of moments, honestly, but for sure there was a moment when God did something that's probably best described as being born again. And it's actually not just for a a certain sort of subgroup or culture within Christianity. Um, This is just Christianity. This is Christianity before Christians even knew to call it Christianity, this is just Jesus. Having a meeting with a Pharisee named Nicodemus, Pharisees if you're new to the term, this would have been sort of a popular uh, class of uh, Jewish people in the first century that were determined to honor God by keeping Torah. Pharisees often get a bad name, They're, they're, they're elsewhere um, corrected quite severely by Jesus as being hypocrites. Um, I I tend to sort of want to cut the Pharisees a little slack. The Pharisees understood that the main reason why why their people were uh, living in the state they were in, uh, they lost the land. The first temple that they had built had been torn down. Like a lot of bad things happened. Things that actually, that God promised that he would do if his people failed to trust and obey him. And it all went down. It's terrible. The Pharisees, they knew how they had gotten to where they were and they were determined to get it right. They were determined to obey the rules to, to, um, to conserve the strict letter of the law so they could get it right, so that God would bless them, so that perhaps they could get the land back and perhaps the second temple wouldn't be torn down. It was, about 70 years later. But these were the Pharisees. Nicodemus was sort of like one of the lead, one of the leaders among the Pharisees. He was known as a teacher of Israel. He understood the law. I mean, no one got religion right like the Pharisees. But he goes to Jesus at night, and he wants, to, he wants to experience the blessings of Messiah. They've been waiting for the king who would come and restore the kingdom to Israel. And so he's eager to find out more, to learn when is this happening? How does this work? What, what next? And this is, in this context, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus asks the all important question, how? This is what he says in verse nine, how? Some translations say how can these things be? That's obviously a great translation. Um, it could also be read as how can these things come about? How can one be born again? And as the dialogue continues, there's sort of a back and forth and confusion and Nicodemus is like, I don't, I don't understand this born again concept. How can one re-enter the mother's womb? I think he's probably being a little um, uh, facetious, maybe even a bit rude, like Jesus, for real, what are you talking about? You must be born again. How? John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Nicodemus You have to believe. In the same way, Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert. This is a story going all the way back to the Book of Numbers. Don't worry if you're not familiar with it, but there's a there's a a part in the story of God's people where they're traveling through the wilderness and they are struggling to get it right. They're struggling to trust and obey the God who's just delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, and they're traveling through the wilderness. And they keep rebelling, they keep moaning, they keep wanting to go back to Egypt because they're reminiscing on how good they had it back in slavery. And they're just really blowing it left and right. So God deals with his people as he does. He sends serpents to attack his people. And he gets their attention. He really, really gets their attention. They start crying out to God, save us, save us again. Save us, we're sorry, we'll get it right. Of course, they never get it right. None of us ever get it right, which is why we need to be born again. He tells Moses, I want you to craft a bronze serpent, put it on a staff and then lift it up and whoever looks at the bronze serpent lifted up will be saved. And Jesus is saying, it's kind of like that. You remember how God saved His people in the desert, the son of man, this is what Jesus would refer to himself as, must be lifted up and whoever looks on him and believes, they too will be saved. What do you reckon Nicodemus is thinking? He's probably not thinking about the cross. He's probably not thinking, yes, of course, that makes sense. The king of Israel, the Messiah, who's supposed to set his people free, will go die on a Roman cross and we'll all stare at him and that's how we'll be saved. Probably not thinking that, which would explain why Nicodemus is utterly confused. But here's the twist, here's the twist. We're told explicitly that Nicodemus did in fact Believe in Jesus. This is the twist. It says um, in verse 2 Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. If we back up just a few verses, this takes us back to last week, the end of chapter 2, we're told that there were many who actually witnessed the signs that Jesus was doing and they believed. So apparently, Nicodemus was one of them. He said, I, I recognize that no one could do these things that you're doing. No one could turn water into wine unless he is, in fact, from God. So I also believe. What exactly he believed is, well, oh, we've got a ways to go yet. But he did believe. He believed as much as one, I suppose, could believe at that point in the story. You know, I think a lot of people believe in Jesus. I bet you a lot of us in this room, if we did like an informal survey, and I said, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. What you believe about Jesus, that's a whole nother conversation. I think a lot of people who would not even necessarily identify as being Christian would say, "I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus, and I believe in this and that and the other, and I believe in all sorts of things, and I believe in the universe, and I believe in whatever fill in the blank, and I believe in Jesus." Or maybe I even just believe in Jesus, like he is the Son of God, who laid down his life, who died for my sins, and came back. That I might, I might leave. I might believe sort of the the basic tenets of Christian doctrine, as we say. But is that the kind of believe that Jesus is describing here? Now this is where we get, this is where it gets a little tricky. What does Jesus mean by believe? Believe what exactly? Or what if, let's say for argument's sake, Nicodemus did believe all the right things. Okay, let's say the the gospel writer, John, is actually using this meeting with Jesus at night as like a case study to speak to the church, which I would argue is in fact exactly what he's doing. There's certain moments, encounters, conversations that get recorded, highlighted for the edification, the building up of the church as time would go on. In fact, later on, John tells us explicitly in his gospel, the reason why he wrote all of this is that, so, is that the readers might also believe. That would be us. He wants us to believe. But here's the thing. I know a lot of people who believe like, the right things, but I don't know if they've been born again. Now, I'm not saying that as like a, like a judgment I don't, I don't know. I can't read people's minds, and I don't know their hearts. But I, as I observe the world, the church at large, I cannot help but wonder what if there's a whole lot of people sitting in pews this morning who would say, I believe, but have never been born again. What if it's not just about what you believe? What if it's just as much about how we believe? Nicodemus, I guarantee you, he understood the Bible, religion, Uh, the whole Jewish tradition, the Tanakh, which would have been like the Jewish Bible Torah. For sure, if he was a Pharisee, a teacher of Israel, he probably had more knowledge than all of us combined in this room and then some. I mean, he knew things. And he would have been living a life of such strict uh, religious moralism. I mean, he would, you talk about John giving, he would have been tithing 10% of all of this stuff, he would have knew all the things, he would have said all of the prayers. I mean, he would have been living such a strict religious lifestyle. But he didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. So my argument is, I don't think it's merely about what we believe. It's just as important how we believe how we believe. You know, um, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter seven, we're told the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, refused to receive John's baptism. So John the Baptist, we'll get back to him next week actually. He was in the river, the Jordan River, baptizing people with a baptism of repentance. People realizing that I am, I've not been living my life in a way that honors God. I've been doing my own thing. I've been making myself God. I am the center of my universe. I think about myself more than others, more than God, and and so they, they understood that like I need to be cleansed. And so this was a baptism of repentance and people were coming in droves to be baptized by John as an expression, as an acknowledgement that I need to be cleansed by God. The Pharisees refused. They would not be baptized by John the Baptist. It says something about how they were believing. They knew all the stuff there was something happening in their hearts that caused them to refuse this public expression of repentance, humility, and an acknowledgement that I need to be cleansed on the inside. Which would also explain why Nicodemus came to see Jesus at night. Something about keeping up appearances. Something about refusing to acknowledge before God and others that I'm broken, I'm a wreck. I might have all the answers, I might know all the things and have memorized all the Bible verses, but my heart is still hard, far from God, just as broken, just as self-centered as ever. I don't know if I have actually been born again, like Nicodemus. So, believing what versus believing in what way? If if now I'm, I'm making an argument here. I realize I'm reading way into the text, but I think this is what we're supposed to do. Like, what's really happening here? What is it that Jesus is after, and why is Nicodemus such a great case study for us—the guy who understands everything there is to know about religion? Let's say, yeah, he doesn't get the most basic thing. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. How? How? A couple thoughts. Jesus says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But if you don't believe in me, you're condemned already. How do we believe? It's not just believing that Jesus died for my sins on the cross, it's believing in such a way that I acknowledge that apart from him, I will spend eternity separated from him in hell. I will be condemned eternally. That is so, like who wants to talk about that? Who wants to think about that? Who wants to hear me say that? No one. It's, it's so radically unpopular, so not PC. And I get it, people will like leave churches and not come back because a guy like me wants to talk about hell. But I'm convinced that, well, number one, okay, it's just here, what does he mean by condemned? He's talking about eternal separation from God, from the author of life. Condemnation would be the opposite of eternal life. Eternal death, eternal punishment, i.e. hell. That's what we call it. And so this idea that it's not just about what I believe, it's about, it's the gravity of what Jesus has done for us. It's not just a spiritual upgrade. It's not just a bit of elevation. It's not just, maybe I can add a bit of Jesus to my, my, my conglomeration of other moralisms and isms and, and different beliefs. It's that apart from Jesus, I stand condemned before my maker. And unless I receive what he's done for me, I stand condemned eternally. That is so heavy. That is so heavy. And if in my believing I can begin to embrace the gravity of what Jesus is offering me, that I can begin to believe in such a way that it's not just a box to tick off. It is salvation. God come down to rescue me eternally. It's the most valuable gift God could ever offer me. And he offers it to me freely. There's a, and I'm getting a little animated because I, I want to, it's the gravity of the gift. When we believe in that way, I think we're getting a bit closer to, the, to this idea, this reality of being born again. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know that so loved? It's, that word so, it's actually in the Greek. It's there's something about the way the grammar's done, it's that word uh, so loved is to emphasize love. It's like God super loved the world. God crazy loved the world. God like more than you can ever think up or imagine loved the world. This is like an off the charts, next level kind of love that God has for the world. And this was his motivation to come down and die for me. What if we began to believe in a way that Began to capture this way that God loves us so intensely. God so loved the world. You ever? Um, it's probably been a while. Have you ever thought about you know the whole thing? If you could wish for one wish, if you could find a, a lamp in the desert and and have three wishes? Question. What would you wish for? If you could ask God for one thing and, and, he was, and he promised to give it to you, what would you ask him for? What's the most valuable thing that God has to offer you and I? It's his love. Elsewhere God it says, "Why well, I am love. Isn't that a crazy thought? Out of all the things that God could give us, the most valuable thing is his love. Do you reckon if we all got born again, or let's say the whole city of Portland got born again, do you think that would change the world? Do you think it would in any way affect like fossil fuel emissions? Do you, do you think it would solve the homelessness crisis? Do you think it would affect in any way uh, human trafficking in our city and the world? Do you think it would in any way change uh, Systemi- or, or institutions of systemic racism. Do you think me getting born again is actually in any way going to change the world that we live in? I think this is why the, 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 the idea, the idiom, you must be born again has become in a lot of circles, this sort of cliche religious idea. I know born-again Christians. Wasn't President Bush, like, wasn't, isn't that the, the thing? Like he, he, he went public with it. I am a born-again Christian. I hear people make jokes about it all the time. It's, and I'm not trying to make a joke out of it. I'm not trying to be uh, rude or disrespectful. But I think in a lot of ways, if you, just, if you just listen to what the world is saying, there's a whole lot of people out there who laugh at the notion of being a born again Christian? It's like for a certain group of religious people that are a bit excited about Jesus. born again. Or perhaps you just have like a really like rough testimony. I used to shoot up heroin and then I met Jesus and I got off of it and now I only snort cocaine and like I'm, I'm doing really well, I've been born again. Or whatever. What if it was much more than that? What if, to be truly born again, God would actually, fundamentally transform a person's heart, would that change the world? I don't know if it would change the world in our generation. Maybe, maybe. But when you think about the world's biggest problems you have to begin to sort of reverse engineer them a little bit and ask yourself, well, where where did it all begin? When did we start treating our planet like trash? When did we start thinking it was ever okay to exploit people's bodies for money? Who ever came up with the idea that it was okay to abuse another human being or to treat a child like trash? like the big problems with the world where you have entire nations that have been become corrupt where you see waves begin to sweep across culture in such a way that innocent people are exploited where injustice is off the charts rampant look where does that begin it starts in human hearts when a human being, just like me, gets it in their head that, well, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I am entitled. Maybe God doesn't really care all that much. I think if every person in this room in our city got born again, maybe in a generation, or two, or three, or four, maybe a 100 years from now, we could begin to see the tide of culture change. And things that we just look at as this is the way the world is, could be turned around. I think we have to get a much greater vision, an eternal vision for how God works in creation. I do believe God knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying when he said, if you want to experience my kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven be born again allow the holy spirit to come inside and recreate you transform you from the inside out so that you might begin to love people the way i so love the world and god pours his love into our hearts by the holy spirit he changes us and he teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us, this is how you love your enemies. This is how you honor one another. This is how you lay your life down for those who could care less, who couldn't care less about you, who begin to live like the children of God. And then maybe in our families, and maybe in our church, in our community, in our, our generation, things begin to change. Someday Jesus will come back, and he'll say, enough's enough. It's time, my kingdom has arrived. But until then, we need to be born again. Can we stand together please? So I've said a few things as we've reflected this morning first of all being born again it's not just this cliche thing that some Christians get into this is if you want to experience the life that Jesus offers you you must be born again you have to be willing to acknowledge before God and the world that you need him that apart from him, you're lost. We all are for eternity. There's gravity to the gift that he offers. It's not just an idea, a concept to mentally ascend to, it's an invitation to surrender. Oh, and this love. This love that our Heavenly Father has for us. This love that compelled Him to come down. Guys, this is where the action's at. This is what our world needs. God loved us so much that He came down and died. He was lifted up on a Roman cross. And then Jesus says, if you want in, follow me take up your cross daily learn to lose your life just as I've lost my life for you then you'll experience the life you're truly looking for this is the life our world needs so here's my challenge as we close our service for the morning are you Nicodemus or you like Nicodemus, you've got all the ideas lined up in your mind. You kind of get it, and perhaps you even say, I believe, I believe. But do you? Do you? I suspect there might be a few of you in here who think, no, I'd, honestly, like, I'm not sure. Should I be feeling something? Should I be crying right now? Should, I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, nor do I, but God does. And my encouragement, my challenge to you is be real. The Pharisees refused to be baptized by John the Baptist because they didn't, it, it, was, it was like there was too much at stake. The threat to their ego was, was just too much. And so they wouldn't do it. They had to come to Jesus at night. Some of you, I tell you, one of the best things you could possibly do is to figure out the most public way you could possibly declare your allegiance to Jesus and just, just go for it. Just go forth. The next opportunity. The next. Month. It could mean coming down right here while we're singing, with all eyes open. You're like, whoa! Well, I thought this guy was already. Well, what's he doing up here? What's she? Uh, what does this mean? Are they repenting? Are they? Are they declaring their need? Like, figure out a way to unashamedly surrender your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want to just know the facts about you. I want to know you. I want you to save me. I want you to change my heart. I want to know your love. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
2: your love is steadfast and ceases to end a comfort in trials and constant defense it is sure morning by morning your mercies are new filling pleasure of truth, I am safe, yes I am safe, late in the night I am met with relief, from worry and doubt that I cling to for peace, it is well with my soul my hiding place When I am pressed by the pain of regret You conquer the lies that would say I'm condemned Yes I know I am free To stillness and chaos, you peace is a friend, oh my soul.
1: Song to end with the uh, the message this morning, what I said, uh, it's very nerve-wracking for me. Um, there's certain things where the Bible takes us certain places. Um, it's very uncomfortable. I don't like the idea of causing people to question their salvation. I'm not into it. But occasionally the Bible takes us to these these places where we are challenged, where we are caused to reflect and say, man, where where am I at? Lord, where is... Lord, would you search my heart? Where am I? Jesus help for some that could be like that very first step where you realize man I grew up in church and now the moment has finally come I'm going to surrender to Jesus and I think I'm just beginning to figure out what that actually means for others it could mean man I have wandered off and I want to pick up my cross today I want to come back And here's what I want us to all leave here thinking about. God is faithful even when we're not. His grace knows no bounds. When the lost son or daughter decides to come home, the father's waiting with arms wide. Welcome home. I've been waiting for you. I love you so, so much. Father, thank you. Help us as we go from this place. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.